Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 97.1 FM Talk. On Demand Audio. Years ago, we were a great nation, and soon we will be a great nation again. The United States has been embarrassed, humiliated, and weakened for all to see. You can't stay quiet any longer. You're angry about what's happening to our country. We will join together and reverse this staggering American decline, and it is staggering indeed. All right, so we knew he was going to get in. He did get in. Reaction this afternoon, former Senator John Lamping, who spent some great quality time with me on election night, as he often does and has throughout the years, is with us this afternoon. He was very early in in 2016 calling Trump as uh, a likely winner and then the eventual winner. John, what did you think last night? That First of all, the energy, he calls Jeb Bush low energy. He didn't sound like high-energy Trump last night, just as one observation. Well, the way I'm describing it is, is uh, such, so begins the third act of Donald Trump's presidential life. So you know, the, you know, the country loves, uh, they love a three-act play, and last night was the opening night. And um, it's interesting to me that not only did Jeb Bush call him low energy, so did Claire McCaskill. So people had their talking points are out there. You know, others would suggest, and I'm one of them, it was, it was a more of a presidential Trump. If you actually read what he's had to say, and he said he didn't mention 2020, he didn't mention Russian collusion, he didn't re- mention any of the things that he gets. He gets um, no, I, I, I agree with at. you there. Yeah. It did come and, off and like was, more like that type of speech for sure. But it was more. Yeah, I, I mean, guess my point is that it was it was more scripted, and we've seen him do that before, where he's more scripted. It's just not as interesting to me. That's all. No, it's funny, and, and you know the media, uh, and I think his opponents really want him to go off script, and, uh, and and it was just interesting how they all chimed in. They need they need him to be kind of crazy, Donald Trump. And last night he was he was share, you know dare I say presidential Donald Trump. It was it was forward looking. It was it was assessment of the lay of the land. I think he described what what has transpired under Biden uh, pr- pretty uh, pretty well. And then his idea that it, his time in office these things didn't happen. And then you know Amer- America will be made made great again. So um, you know I, I, it really is the opening act. I, it's interesting though when you think about it. I feel like in some respects you know he kind of laid out the chessboard and he pushed the pawn forward. And and I do agree. It doesn't make sense to me that he's coming this early. Uh, and it'll be curious years from now to look back and see what were his thoughts. You know, why did he decide to go now? But, uh, you know, it's interesting that the, the establishment Republican Party came out and all the surrogates, Chris Christie, all those guys came out and criticized him for doing what he's doing now. And we all wonder, what is he going to do, you know, uh, in the next month or two or three? And But the other, the other question I have, though, is he, he's put his pawn forward. And now what does the establishment do? Does the establishment put out four or five pieces 
up on that stage. And but John, okay, is, like I, yeah. we, we had this argument on the roundtable. I got I got to push back on this establishment stuff. Yep. Is Marjorie Taylor Greene in the establishment? No, of course not. But well, she not wants Kevin not. McCarthy to be speaker. She made the case two days ago uh-huh. that she wants Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. So, th- this whole thing about the establishment and them being the boogeyman, I, I don't, I don't think that that's the way to handle this right now. I really don't, because well, you can put everyone in the establishment. And, and let, let's ask this question from the establishment perspective: What is the so if if he's not the establishment, if Trump's not the establishment, what is he? He's a populist. Okay, he's a pure populist. That's so what he is. where is I mean, what are the populists in, in the United States Senate, Congress or in the White House going to get you that the establishment is not going to get you, given the numbers are not likely to be in the populist favor? So what what would be achieved there? No, most most certainly it remains to be seen whether a pure populist can win national office. It's, it's the people that are speaking out against Trump are the establishment on the right and the establishment on the left. Look, I'll be of my opinion, there's not a whole lot of difference between the Bushes and the Clintons. They're pretty much the same thing. And I would throw in, you know, most of Romney and the Obamas. They're all very right, much the same not, thing. Right, but that's not the argument. That's the 2016 argument, and I think it was valid right now. But you're, it seems like people are just labeling everyone in the establishment. There are a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, who supported Trump emphatically for two different presidential elections who have peeled back. And they've peeled back because they're exhausted. They've seen the behavior. They know that there are other people out there ready to step up and still take on the mantra. And that's where my brain is moving forward. Now, I know there's a lot of people that are going to still support Trump. And Annie did a poll here leading up to this show, and there was 84% that said that if he was the nominee, they'll support him. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think that those numbers would be right where I would expect them to be. But that's not the question right now. The question is, is he or should he be the nominee? Because it's hard for me to believe that the guy who lost by 3 million popular vote and then he lost by 7 million is going to somehow rally to get enough votes to become the next president. Now, having said that, I was wrong about him in 2016. But where does the math work there, especially with John Fetterman winning in Pennsylvania? Well, look, here's my point, though, Mark, is to say is that he's pushed forward his piece. He's in the game now. And so, uh, you know, of all the other candidates that are out there, I've said publicly, I I like DeSantis. I like what he's had to say. DeSantis takes a very populist approach to governing. You know, there's a lot of Trumpian, you know, the whole Trumpian MAGA thing. It's populism. That's what it is. The working men and women of this country look at the government that's been put forward the last 20 or 30 years, and it does not work for them. And they are attracted. I mean, I think Chappelle, what he said on Saturday Night Live was the best description of what populism is. Remember, Trump came out of the house and said, whatever you think's going on in there, it's going on in there. And it's not. not No, I I played that audio the other night. And I think Chappelle, he nailed it there. And there's no doubt that's different than the tone I heard last night. No, well, that last night was just a start. It's a start of a campaign. It was like, here's here's my vision. Here's what I want to do. I'm looking forward. I'm not looking back. And it was just one speech. And you know, we're years away. We're two years away or more. Uh, and but what I what I was going to say before was, is that okay? Now you're you're the Republican Party without you know the, the non-populism part or your whoever else is out there. Do you put forward three or four or five candidates? Because I've heard over and over again, oh my gosh, Trump can get thirty percent of the vote. Uh, and if, if it's the stage is crowded with people, then he'll win the primary. Well, OK, Republican Party, 
why don't you figure out that, you know, the governor's all down in Florida at the RGA meetings this week. Well, if I'm them and I really think Trump's that dangerous to the party, well, then I figure out, I pick one guy. And I said on election night, and I said on Friday, I said, I think DeSantis should have cleared the field. I mean, there's, if I'm, if I'm looking out for the best interest of the Republican Party, Trump's not going away. I would push forward DeSantis. And I wouldn't have all these other people up on that stage. I would tell Youngkin not to run. And I would I would put pressure on all these other people. And if, and if you put DeSantis and Trump in a primary, I'll support the winner. And and as as we sit here today, I think DeSantis would beat him. Right. But if well, but that could change. Party, yeah. If the Republican Party puts in five or six or seven or eight or ten people up on that stage, there's a very good chance that that Trump will win. Uh, the, the yeah, I don't, dis- I don't so, disagree with that. But you, you heard what Senator Hawley said this week about the establishment as well. And when it comes to Mitch McConnell, I'd love to see, by the way, I'd be fine with new leadership in the House or the Senate. McConnell, not my favorite guy either. But what's the path to have someone who is going to be a leader in the United States Senate who has the votes to become the leader, who has the leadership skills to bring coalitions together and get legislation across the board? Where is that going to happen? It's not going to happen. And that level of frustration that the people feel, the people know, oh, my gosh, really? We're going to have this guy in charge. This guy's in charge of the House. This guy's in charge of the Senate. Both parties. This is why populism is at the fevered pitch that it is around this country. It's because the government that's been pushed in front of us as the same universe of people that have been pushed in front of us for 20 years. And the ordinary person looks at the situation and knows I'm not getting I'm not better off. I'm not. But those people in Washington sure as heck are. They're, they go in millionaires. They come out multi, multi, multi millionaires. And, and you know, it's interesting because, like, Josh is out there. Josh has a sense of populism. He has this finger on that pulse. And what you hear Josh say is a lot of things that it could just easily be Trump saying the same thing. And and but you're exactly right, Mark. So Marjorie Taylor Greene in the House, she knows there's no way the populist can overthrow the the um, the establishment and the leadership votes. Yeah, you have to be realistic. Well, we've been realistic for 20 years, Mark, and we're 32 trillion dollars in debt, seven percent inflation, and no no, and it's the middle class that has bared the complete brunt of this. And until the middle class is made better off, and I'll, I'll remind you that during Trump's years, the middle class was they were the primary beneficiary of the Trump years. They did phenomenally well for the first time. Their real wages rose cons- consistently throughout his time in office. He delivered to them, and it's those are the middle class are the people who are suffering. By the way, he, he did that with all these people in the establishment who voted for the things that got to his desk. There, there, it wasn't like establishment Republicans were breaking off saying we don't support your policies. They supported him too, didn't they? Well, what he, what, what Trump, what Trump did is Trump tried to stop. Well, his principally what he, his, what he did for the middle class. Uh, was he tried to stop the tide of of labor coming through the border, like you know, low wage labor? He looked to pursue fair trade deals, not free trade deals. "Quote unquote," free trade de- deals are what has just uh, gotten rid of our entire industrial state. These are things that Repu- established Republicans aren't running on these things now. They want they don't want fair trade. They want open trade. You know, they want free trade, and and the middle class understands what all that stuff means. And he, you know, who was it that I mean, Trump put forward? You know, we made us energy independent in our time, in his time in office. So look, there's been 20 years of people promising to deliver. He delivered, 
and and I, I don't think you debate that. I think everyone says, look, he. No, he I don't. I don't debate that. I cannot debate right. that because he did deliver on things that I didn't even expect him to deliver on. But I think, um, you know, I think a couple of people have said this this week. This, this country and a lot of people, and and I, I've felt it. I really have. Uh, they're ready to move forward, not to look back. And the third act um, sometimes is a dud. That's what I'd say. Well, I've seen enough the, shows. The third act had it had mixed reviews for sure. Uh, but it was a forward-looking speech. You read the speech. It was forward-looking speech. It didn't, it didn't mention 2021 time. Yeah, I don't think I can do it. I can't. It, uh, it's too exhausting for me. But I'll, maybe I'll take a look I at it. I know where you months. are. All right, we'll see you. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.